You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. The podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a little bit of zen to improve ourselves along the way. All right, we got a cool little episode today. We have uh, some Ironman Texas news that went down last weekend. I've got a short piece of uh, gear review. The uh, iPod or the Apple uh, AirPods, the new ones. I'll talk about the old ones just a little bit, but the uh, new ones that you can charge wirelessly, I got some and I thought I'd mention what I've noticed with them that I think triathletes should know. And then also a quick run through of some Zen topics that will be uh, good stuff to uh, talk about. In fact, if I pull it over here, I can kind of tell you what it is. You are not responsible for your emotions. How about that? You're responsible for your reactions to your emotions. That's what we'll talk about and a little bit more. All right, let's go ahead and talk about Ironman Texas. It went down over at the Woodlands, which is really close to here where I'm at. I'm in College Station, Texas. And speaking of College Station, they don't really mention it in the profiles, the athlete profiles, but Jocelyn McCauley, who almost won the female pro division uh, is actually born and raised. I think she was born here, here in College Station. Definitely raised here. She was swam on the swim, same swim team that my son uh, swims on in the summers, and and went to uh, I think College Station. They don't actually call it College Station High School. It's got a different name, but the high school here ran track. You know, all kinds of good stuff. And then she went to BYU, I think, and uh, ran track or cross country or something there. She's obviously a killer runner and she has a, just a, you know, like a neighborhood, uh, community, um, swim team background. So that gets your, your swimming taken care of. So you can actually swim decently. And, uh, and then her, yeah, her true talent is the, uh, is the run, but, uh, she's no joke on the bike because she passed Daniela Reef at the end of the bike ride. And that is amazing. So I was watching it on Facebook. Uh, Iron Man, Iron Man Now is the uh, is the name it goes under, and you can watch the bigger races on that. And they had a motorcycle tailing uh, the lead female, for example, and the lead male. And uh, so Starkey Starkowitz, Andrew Starkowitz, uh, almost won. He was crushing it on the bike. Gone uh, about halfway through the run, and then Patrick Nilsson, who's Swedish, I believe, uh, passed him on the run, and then another guy uh, passed him. So Andrew Starkwitz came in third, and it's hot. It's not the hottest. It's just medium here in Texas, and I was uh, pretty sure that uh, as the heat built up in the day, that Starkwitz would have to slow down a little bit. He's a bigger guy. He's like 190 pounds. And that heat wears on you. When you're big, you can't shed the body heat and it starts to cook you from the inside. Uh, so I wasn't surprised. These circuits have to uh, slow down. But uh, the big surprise, I guess, I don't know. Uh, 
Jocelyn McCauley has won Mallorca, Mallorca, uh, which is Spain. I think that's a full Ironman. And she's won Ironman New Zealand. Is it twice now? And against some pretty good competition. So Jocelyn McCauley is uh, no joke. And she's actually been on the show twice. She's come to my house and I've run with her uh, because she's a local. She was like coming home for the weekend to visit her parents. <laughs> and uh, we found out uh, she was in town and uh, we hung out and interviewed her uh, a few episodes back a couple years ago, maybe, maybe a year ago. I think it's two years ago. Interviewed her at my house, you know, like uh, just like a really, she is so locked on about uh, public media, you know, like how to reach out to people. And she knows what she's doing. She's also very, very smart. Her parents, at least her dad, I think, is a professor at A&M. So she grew up in a very academic family. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Jocelyn McCauley because uh, just knowing somebody from your, from your town and if it's a small town that's doing this well, is like, that's really cool. That means that uh, we all can do, maybe not win uh, an entire Ironman, but uh, we all can do great things, you know. It's all relative to what you're given, but, you know, don't hold back. So this was huge. She passed Jocelyn, uh, passed uh, Daniela Reef, who is the whatever multiple-time world champion, uh, at the end of the bike and then started off on the run and there was another female really good cyclist i think that passed daniela on the uh, bike towards the end too but anyway uh, jocelyn took off on the run some say she took off running a little bit too fast maybe and if she went just a little bit slower on the run she might have won the whole thing because it took 20 miles <laughs> for daniela reef to catch Jocelyn, but finally she caught Jocelyn with like five, six miles to go or something like that. And then one, but only one by like a minute and a half. Didn't, I don't even think it was two minutes. And so in a weird way, um, it's both, uh, jo Jocelyn both, uh, you know, didn't win, but she won. She also came out of it as a winner. And by that, um, the problem with Kona is Kona is um, a huge pressure cooker and it makes everybody really nervous because everything's on the line. So people uh, make a lot of mistakes. They go too hard. They, they overthink things. They, um, they get uh, anxiety and, and they forget to do the things. They do too much of the wrong thing or not enough of the right thing. They have bike accidents, like all the stuff leading up to Kona or at Kona because of the nerves, because it's, that's the most important race. Well, so what you want is a lot of experience so that when on race day, you don't have any nerves and you can actually just race, uh, who you yourself, you know, bring your, bring your real self to the line and not make any mistakes and, and stuff like that. And Jocelyn's had two, she's made it to Kona twice, I think. Um, and not had good races each time because this is like normal. It takes a couple times of, uh, racing there to, um, actually succeed usually and to finally have a good race and there is no better experience to calm your nerves than to race the past uh, you know whatever multiple time champion and pass her <laughs> and be beating her for what like two hours 
of of uh, or more, be in the lead for two hours, and then finally get past at the end. You know, and then you can sit back and go, okay, well, oh, she wasn't good enough to win, but but there's there's this idea that she maybe she went out a little bit too hard on her run. At first, she was doing a sub six, and um, I've seen some people say that that's um that's too fast at the beginning. You just get excited, you know, you take off. It's no big deal, but you um it's too fast at the beginning, sub six minute mile, and um it it cooked her, and then uh, as she as she ran a little bit slower, then maybe uh, she wouldn't have uh, gone slow enough at the end for Daniela. She would have had more energy to, to not let Daniela um, pass her uh, towards the end. We don't know. You don't know. Those are the kind of fun things to talk about. But uh, Jocelyn, on the video footage and all the pictures and everything, she is so excited. Cannot believe it. Um, she almost beat Daniela Reef and was actually actually was beating her for quite a while, which is uh, a huge accomplishment for Jocelyn. So when Jocelyn goes to um, when she goes to Kona, and you're imagine this happens to you. So now you're going to go to Kona. Let me turn the air conditioner here. You're going to go to Kona, and you've already basically raced against the best and had a good race and did really well and kind of scared the best. So now you're like, you feel like you deserve to be there. You are qualified. You're not there by accident. You're not just barely there. You are there and you're supposed to be there and you're going to make the race exciting and you deserve to be there. So you like feel like way more in control of what's going on and way more calm. And then um, you can make uh, like really good decisions. Now on race day at Kona, you still can't just say, oh, um, what, you, you could say, well, I'm just going to stay with Daniela and not get out ahead of her, um, you know, off the bike. Well, what if Daniela, you know, you can't just go with that. There's still questions, you know, like, do you, um, what if Daniela's having a bad day? So you end up uh, sandbagging it, is what they call it here in Texas. You end up sandbagging it and not trying as hard as you can. And then... Um, somebody else takes off the front and wins like say what if Miranda Carfrey's there you know another uber runner and uh Miranda takes off <laughs> now what do you do you know the thing is is you want to push off the front on the run but you maybe don't want to um knowing how hard to go on the run is like a big question and you don't really know because you don't know what's going on with other people exactly they're not telling you how they feel and that they're not trying as hard as they can or you know they're they're trying the hardest that they possibly can and maybe it's not a good idea so anyway that was a whole lot of ironman texas stuff kai and i and emily and i were all watching it um i'd done uh, some a uh, bike ride and a, a long uh run no long bike ride and a short an hour run uh that morning so i was drinking a beer watching all this stuff and and uh, it was really really cool the footage was awesome it was fantastic racing and gosh, it's, it's got me uh, thinking about signing up for it next year, maybe. Um, we got to see how my foot goes. My foot's doing really, really well, but you don't want to screw that up, you know? <laughs> Just because something's good, don't, don't ruin a good thing. And oh, we do have a little bit of other news. Uh, Zwift added a desert road section, and it's like 11 miles, maybe? No, it's not 11 miles. It's like six miles. It's quite a, quite a distance of uh, very flat. Uh, terrain, which is really good for doing endurance intervals. 
intervals where you just kind of lower the uh, lower the cadence a little bit and push a little bit harder. Not like super fast hit one minute crazy high intensity intervals, but like low intensity intervals that um, really push you uh, over like a longer time. That builds up your slow twitch muscles, which is the good stuff. So I've been riding that a bunch. I really, really like it. It's uh, completely changed the feel of Zwift for me. And it's on the Watopia Island. And uh, now I can ride for like two hours without ever encountering the same piece of road or something. It's really great. And after that, let's see, we're going to talk about the AirPods. So when the new AirPods came out, the thing I really wanted was for them to be in black. Uh, and my old AirPods are um, one one side is kind of muffled. They've got some kind of water sweat in them or something like that. And I do have to say, AirPods are probably the best solution for working out. They're very much uh, waterproof, sweatproof uh, for a long time. Finally, you'll do something to kind of wreck them, but it takes quite a bit. And if you have the problem where they don't want to stay in your ears because they want to slide out, you can buy these little silicone uh, covers for them. And those actually keep them in your ears. It's really cool. I've got a, a pair of those. And if I'm going to go jog outside, and so they get sweaty, and then I start jump, you know, you're bouncing up and down from the run. Uh, they want to kind of slide and bounce out of your ears. But these silicone uh, pieces actually keep them in your ear, like, really, really well. Okay. But they didn't come out in black. They come out in the same stupid white that you can see them from outer space instead of being more uh, subdued and subtle and pro looking. But uh, they're the case is uh, wireless chargeable. And there's also something like the chips inside are a little bit faster. Um, so I do notice that they uh, connect to your phone a little bit faster and there's something where you can double tap on them and do, uh, hey, you know the name because of the sear. And um, I don't really use that. I just, my phone's nearby anyway. So I just grab that and the wireless case, though, that is cool. Uh, I had them a day before I had that moment of like, whoa, this is nice. So around the house, there's a wireless charging pad in the living room. And there's one on our kitchen counter. And there's one by my bed, for example. And I bought one for Kai. It's next to his bed. So he can just put his phone on it. Oh, my phone's not charged. I'm like, okay, here. These wireless charging mats are like, um, you know, 10, 20 bucks or something like that. And uh, so anyway, I was walking through the living room and I had my AirPods in my ears or in the case, or just in my hand. And I wouldn't really do anything with them. And I walked by one of these charging mats and I was like, and I already tested it out to make sure it works and everything. This wasn't like the first time I ever used it. But I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I knew that they were about half dead. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just put it, I'll charge them. And I just set it on the charging mat and kept on walking. And as I walked off, I saw the little light light up that they were uh, they were charging. I was like, oh, now that was cool. <laughs> that was nice. I was about to set them down anyway somewhere. Why not set them down on something that's going to charge them, which is right here. So I guess part of the solution is get some charging mats and just kind of put them around your house, you know, like... Uh, like I said, one in the living room, one by the front door, one by your bed, one in the kitchen. That should cover it. And Anchor, A-N-K-E-R, uh, makes charging stands where it holds your phone kind of vertically, like at a 45-degree angle. 
and is a charging mat. Those are awesome. That's the one I have by my bed. Uh, that way it tilts your phone up so you can see it uh, while you're laying in bed and your phone does something, you can roll over and see it without having to pick up your phone. It's already at an angle so you can see it better. So that's a big plus. I, I, I know they're really expensive, but especially if you're listening to podcasts and stuff, they are so worth it. It's so amazing. They work really, really well. They, uh, once those came out and I started using them, I haven't gone back to I used to use Jaybirds and all these other kinds, and I've not gone back to anything since because they work so well. All right. We're going to do a little bit of Zen Talk and then get into the training log. Our Zen topic is... I made notes. <laughs> uh, we're talking about um, your responses to emotions. Uh, Western Zen is real heavy on using Zen and Buddhism to uh, help us deal with all of our stress. In America, we've our culture is very stressful. We work too many hours. You know, you you have to work for health insurance. If you if you uh, don't keep your job, or if you if you're not successful, and then you get sick, uh, you're gonna you know you're worried you're gonna be out on the street or homeless or something like that. Uh, medical bills are so expensive. Um, we got to save up for retirement. Like it's crazy the amount of stress that we're under. And also we're in a, a, um, do, 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 prove, 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 push, 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 produce, 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 um, work environment at a lot of our jobs, super competitive, which is the nature of capitalism. And I'm not against capitalism. I like capitalism, but, um, uh, that's the kind of culture that we're in right now. And so it creates a lot of stress. So a lot of of uh, the parts of Buddhism and Zen that have proven to be successful in the Western Hemisphere, well, Europe and North America, for example, is um, the parts that, not so much the bowing and the praying and the chanting and all that, but the more the parts that are um, about how to handle stresses in your life a whole lot better. And this is a really good example. Uh, let's say you're driving down the road and it's a two lane road and there's really nowhere to go. And let's add to it. It's nighttime. Uh, there's no, no shoulder or anything like that. And it's a long road. There's no, there's no, um, big intersections coming up or anything like that. And, uh, a car comes roaring up behind you. Let's change that. Let's make it a big truck, a big rig, 18 wheeler. They call it where I'm from comes up behind you and is like tailgating you, like coming up really close and it's making you uh, worked up because you, uh, it's really annoying. It's really stressful. Now, a lot of people get angry and they get upset and um, they start, you know, flip off the the guy behind them. They can uh, do all kinds of things. One thing they, one thing they almost always do is like, well, I'm in front, so I deserve to be in front. Or front is relative. If you'd left a minute later, you'd be behind. I mean, being in front is kind of a, a, a weird thing for us to focus on. But, but, uh, but that person wants to be in front. <laughs> so there's all this, all this stress, and what happens with Zen? So a meditation practice. If you do meditation practice, really, what you're doing is you are turning off um, you're trying to you're trying to turn off all the external stimuli uh, 
right? So there isn't any. And then because there isn't any uh, signals coming in, unnecessary signals, then you're actually able to discern um, signals that are real and signals that are fake. Uh, things that are actually happening are things that your mind has made up. And with practice, you, um, you learn these. Like, you can sit there and uh, you're meditating. Really, you're just trying to be, you're just trying to turn everything off and you're just kind of sitting there. And then you start thinking about a coworker that like really drives you crazy and they make you mad, right? Well, then you can ask yourself, wait a minute, is that coworker here? And they're like, no, they're not here. I'm meditating. There's nothing here. <laughs> I'm in a safe space. And then you, oh, wait, so this stimuli, and now I'm getting worked up and angry thinking about my coworker. I'm making this up right now. This isn't actually necessary at this moment. I'm creating this. And so then you go, okay, now let's practice. This is why they do the whole thing. Like when you realize that you've strayed away from thinking about nothing, following your breath, whatever you're doing, then you bring it back. You bring yourself back. You don't get angry at yourself because this is like a lesson. This is good that you strayed away. Then you can learn something. You, you've learned another thing that you think about when you don't really need to be thinking about anything. And, the, um, and also how it makes you feel. That's the important part. So you do this enough and you learn that your feelings, are, your emotions are kind of optional. Now, or your reaction to them are kind of optional. So you're gonna feel stuff. If somebody jumps out behind a bush and scares you, you're gonna feel scared, right? If there's, uh, if you win the lottery, you're gonna feel happy. If, you know, somebody points a gun at you, you're gonna duck and go, what? Ow, don't, don't do that. But the, uh, well, how you feel about somebody pointing a gun at you, you're gonna get angry, right? If somebody insults you, you're gonna get angry, right? Those are all um, normal. But how you actually respond to those emotions is a choice. So if somebody insults you, you don't have to punch them, right? You don't have to respond with a punch. You can go, I could uh, ignore them. I could uh, say, no, that's not true, but thank you. Or that's interesting is a really nice one. Um, but uh, yelling back at the person and punching them will, is a dumb response because that's gonna end you up, land you in jail. So when the car's coming up behind you, the big truck, and he's aggressively, you think, you feel, you feel he's aggressively putting uh, you in danger and uh, insulting you by not giving you enough space, and you're already driving the speed limit, right? So what, is, what does this person need? Um, you actually have a choice. And I've done this, once I've learned about this years ago, I've done it so many times and it's so nice. You pull over, you put on your blinker at the next opportunity and ease over on the side of the road and let that person pass. And then you get back on the road and you start driving again. <laughs> and now that person's way up in front of you. It's kind of funny because it confuses the hell out of them because now you're right behind them again. And it kind of sends a signal like, dude, calm down. I don't need I don't need that, and I just chose to not participate in that. Um, was it Gandhi? What was it? Non. He called it non something non participation, non violent non participation. Is I'm not going to participate in this game. And 
it works. And then you'll realize while you're driving that all of a sudden, that feeling of that stress, uh, all that um, frustration and anger and confusion and the, uh, the possibility of making a bad decision is all gone. It's 100% gone. And you reacted to, to the situation. You felt that something was stressing you out and then you decided that there's a better way and then you decided I'm not going to participate I'm going to do nonviolent non-participation like Gandhi said and I'm going to uh, let this person go around me and the result is so amazing uh, so there's a couple more sayings um, when you're meditating you can see where the ads are coming from <laughs> <laughs> and learn to stop them. So the unnecessary thoughts are kind of like ads when you watch TV or you're, you're surfing the internet and it's a pop-up, 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 right? Buy this. You need this. You need that. Look at this. You'll be more beautiful if you buy this. Uh, oh my gosh, can you believe what this one person said? Somebody's birthday on Facebook. Burr, burr, burr. You've got mail. So you actually, uh, with meditation, you learn what are ads and what are actually uh, legitimate things to actually think about. And you learn to discern between the two. And then after a while, you actually learn to stop the ads much, much sooner so you hardly experience it all. It's kind of like, I just thought of this just now, but it's kind of like ad blocker. I need to think about that one some more. That is a really good way of putting it. Zen and Buddhism and meditation, the combo of that, is kind of like installing ad blocker <laughs> in your own and the operating system that is your brain. Uh, I heard another phrase too, your brain theater. Like when I read it, I read it on Reddit, uh, where on a comment, in a comment, somebody said, somebody wrote something and then somebody responded, oh, in my brain theater, I imagined it looked like this. And then people were talking about, man, that is funny. Because that's what your brain is. It's like a theater, you know? It's now showing at uh, 3 p.m., this romantic drama or this um, uh, comedy or this uh, mystery, everything's your like perception of things. Okay. Now, uh, the last thing I want to talk about Zen-wise is uh, you can leave, but there's nowhere to go. So somebody was telling a story that they worked really hard to get into a Zen monastery. They asked and finally got permission, and then they were there for a while. And um, they didn't know how much it was actually going to suck. Uh, and this is, a, this is just, you know, 10 years ago, somebody telling this story. And, you know, you get up super early, you eat very little food, and then you clean, and then you sit there and meditate, and you stare at a wall or whatever. And that's it. Over and over and over again. So you're kind of stuck with your thoughts, right? And you think, really, I guess we, we think that we're going to go to Zen Monastery and get enlightened and then everything's going to be butterflies and rainbows and you're going to have magical powers and like a, like a genie and a lamp kind of thing. You're going to get everything that you want. And that's not what happens. All you do when you have uh, Zen enlightenment is you just see the world more clearly and how it works because now you can see your own source code of how you operate. If, we do, if we're going to do a computer talk. Now you know how you function. You can decide whether to run certain programs or not. 
I've never really talked about Zen as far as a uh, computer analogy. I work with computers in my day job. I could probably do, uh, I could probably use that a lot more often as a good analogy because I know, I know how to, um, I know those pieces pretty well. Yeah, I'm going to start working on that uh, using computer talk. And I also teach com- basic computer stuff, so it won't be over anybody's head. Um, yeah, you know your own programs, so you can decide uh, which programs to run. And kind of like a car radio, you know, you can decide what kind of music you want to listen to because you know you. You know where all the channels are. So you can listen, you can decide to listen to the news or you can decide to listen to, um, com, you know, a sitcom or, or whatever, or watch a sitcom. But anyway, and that's it. There's not much more than that. The life is definitely, I guess, way better. It's more interesting, I guess. And it's definitely, yeah, it's more fascinating to see how we all operate like this. But it's kind of like seeing the insides of a clock. You know, a clock that has a clear case on it where you can see all the gears moving, that's the difference. And so when the clock starts acting wonky, you can actually pick out the gear that's um, not running right. And in fact... There is a saying uh, in Buddhism. They like to use a wheel, Dharma, the Dharma wheel, which is the lessons of life, but it has spokes and, but like a wagon, let's say a wagon has four wheels and becoming enlightened is kind of like you find the wheel that's stuck. And then, um, so somebody that's enlightened has, um, it's like somebody coming up to you and pointing at the wheel that's got a bad, the hub in the wheel, like say on a bicycle, is kind of jammed, like the bearings are bad. Have you ever had this happen where a wheel all of a sudden just locks up because the bearings, a bearing cracked in it or something like that or in the pedals? It's kind of like that. They go, this is where it's stuck. This right here. That's enlightenment. Is like showing you where the problem is so that you can actually fix it. And then you can get your wagon wheels, your wagon and your wheels rolling again. Um, so this lady, I think, I think it was a lady. She was talking about that she was in the Zen monastery. Things were sucking. And because you, you're there really to face yourself because there's nothing else to do. You're, you're there to see all the ads that you run. <laughs> you're like, crap, this is a lot of ads. This sucks. And they keep coming right? So now you're just actually faced with the work. And now that you know this, now you know this, there is, there is no coming back. It's like the red pill versus the blue pill. I forgot which one sedates you, but you're taking the pill. Once you learn enough Zen, it's kind of like you've taken the pill that wakes you up to the matrix. And, uh, you can't unlearn something. You know how if you learn something and you can't unlearn it, people can't take away your knowledge. Once you know that things are like this, you're kind of you're kind of stuck with it, which is good. But there's there's these sayings where um, after enlightenment, before enlightenment, um, wash dishes or chop wood. Wash, uh, yeah, wash dishes, carry wood, or something like that. And um, after enlightenment, chop dish, chop dishes, uh, wash dishes, carry wood. 
which means life is no different. It's still the exact same life. You're not going to, nothing's different. It's still the same world and everything. Now you're a little bit different. The person washing the dishes and carrying the wood uh, is different, right? You've changed, but the work hasn't changed. Your life isn't really going to change. You're going to make better choices and life will change gradually, but um, life is still work basically. Uh, you just know how to make the choices a little bit better, but they're never going to go away. All the work's still going to happen. So this lady was thinking about, uh, she was in the courtyard sweeping yet again for hours <laughs> and the gate was like right there. And she said, uh, she was standing there and she started, maybe the gate was like part, like just a slight bit open and it's the gate to leave. And she was standing there and she was looking at the gate and probably leaning on her broom and looking at the gate probably wistfully, you know? So it's obvious to a bystander that she's like thinking about she could leave. She could, she could just leave, right? There's nothing keeping you there, right? But she was thinking about that and then she heard this, she heard this voice and like calling her name. And she looked up and from the second story window, looking down was the head monk. <laughs> and he said, let's say the lady's name is uh, Karen. So he goes, Karen, Karen. And he, she looks up and he goes, you can leave, but there's nowhere to go. And she was telling the story and the whole crowd started laughing. And these are uh, practiced Zen students that she's speaking to because they get it. You can leave, but you're still going to be faced with the work and faced with yourself everywhere you go. No matter where you go, there you are. And you still got to deal with your own problems. And no matter what Ironman race you sign up for, you still got to race your body through that Iron Man. You still have the same problems that you had back home. If uh, you are thinking about doing Iron Man's, um, it's still you that's going to do them, right? It's not somebody else. You're not going to be a different person on the other side of that finish line. You'll be, ch you will be changed, but you'll still be you. So that's your Zen thoughts for this episode. And uh, I think that's it. Let's go ahead and get to the training log. I've got a bunch of uh, training tips and stuff I did over the past couple weeks. And it's good stuff. All right. Training log. Here we go. You are entering the Zen right training log zone. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a trash. Hi, I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself. Hey, hey, welcome to a new training log. Start eight. Uh, April 23rd. And let's see, I'm on my way to W to the ERK. Get some work done. Do not have a swimming tip this morning. I might have one, but that's not the point. I have running tips. 
So with the uh, treadmill, you are able to uh, very finely control uh, your variables, and then you can see what's going on, and, and you can work that way to improve things. For improve things, for example, one thing I really like to do is uh, get the uh, treadmill up to a nice cruising speed, get all nice and warmed up, and be jogging along, and then uh, settle into your the top end of your zone two heart rate, which for me is around one thirty five, and then start messing with your form a little bit to see what uh, gives you uh, allows you to increase speed on the treadmill without increasing your heart rate and uh, yeah that works I've been doing that for years it's, it's really really cool you find things like how to basically you find out where to how to conserve energy in certain places so you can put out more energy in other places but anyway with this uh, lingering foot issue it's it's really uh, I've got a foot injury that's somewhat like a heel spur, um, but not exactly, but kinda. It's some kind of tendon uh, injury under uh, the feet, and I, it, there's this crazy thing where on some runs it hurts and some runs it doesn't. And then I've noticed, uh, and this is outside too, or I only got the treadmill. I used to have a treadmill, and then we uh, quit using it because it pretty much broke down. <laughs> but anyway, uh, for the past couple of years, I've been running outside. So just recently, got a new treadmill again, and a couple of months ago, and I've been working out on it a lot. And um, let's see what this person's going to do at this intersection. Oh, roundabout! And I live in a part of Texas, a part of the United States, <laughs> part of the world. Because well, a lot of United States like that, where they're not used to roundabouts, and when we do roundabouts, it confuses people. It's pretty funny. So right now, you can't predict what people are going to do. Anyway, I uh, I was like, why sometimes when I run slower, it actually the next day or later that day, my feet hurt worse. Because you would think you're running easier, right? Slower is easier. And I think today, this morning, I uh, put together two and two, and came up with a new um oh go 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 came up with a new um theory pretty sure of it not just a theory well yeah it is a theory and then uh tested it out and kind of noticed something um i'm running with a garmin phoenix five not the 5x just a garmin phoenix five and it uh, shows your cadence. It does your arm swing to figure out your cadence. And so I'm running on the treadmill and I've done a lot of back and forth with trying to figure out fast and slow and you know what makes my foot hurt. And, but there's a time lag, so you don't really know until it's too late kind of thing. And then you try to put together the picture and, and also you're biking at the same time. Not right at the same time, but you know, in life. And trying to put together the puzzle is really hard. So today I tried something. Oh, and there's incline and, you know, oh my gosh, the hills, right? So how much is the, are the hills impacting things? And, and it's because the crazy thing is sometimes I run faster and my feet don't hurt at all. And I'm like, well, I'm applying more force. So what's going on? Well, I think I figured it out. And the reason I talk about this stuff is in case anybody else has uh, injuries running injuries then uh, you can apply this to yourself and just know this and 
I watched my cadence. And today, I kept my cadence high, even though I was running really slow. I kept my cadence almost as fast as when I'm running um, fast. So my cadence when I'm, I, I'm, I'm tall, so I have long legs, so my cadence is naturally a little bit uh, slower uh, than somebody that's uh, shorter. So I, um, my cadence when I'm running at a good clip is like 164. So what is that, 82 steps per minute? And when I started off running, I this morning, I went ahead and even though I was only doing 4.5 miles per hour, which is slow, that's like a 12 minute mile, I made sure that I upped my cadence to, was it 160? It was over one over 160. So you're kind of like running in place, right? And I had this uh, one class from a, a world, uh, a gold medal uh, running coach one time. And he said in the warm up, Kenyans, if you want to study fast people, study the Kenyans, uh, they run the same cadence all the time, even in warm up. They're doing two miles an hour, they're running in place. It's always the same cadence. And uh, so you just got to learn how to do it. So possibly what's been happening is when I start off, uh, and I've learned that if I run tired, my feet hurt uh, really bad the next day. And I'm like, why? What is it that's different about my form? So right now I'm leaning towards it's the cadence. And what happens is uh, you can, you can uh, simulate this on the bike. If you do low cadence, very low tur turnover, you have to apply more force, way more force. Now on the bike, you don't really feel an impact. You feel strain, but on the run, there's a big impact. So it's fewer steps per minute, but each step has a heavier hit. And if you do high cadence, then it's a lot more steps, but each step is a lot lighter. And there's there's a threshold of where something doesn't bother an injury and something does bother an injury. It goes, it goes from being a light enough impact where it just doesn't even bother you at all to a hard enough of a hit where it does irritate something. So this morning I was uh, starting off at a higher, much higher cadence than usual on purpose to uh, see if that helped. And it did. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I'm super stoked about that. And my uh, tip for the start of the show is pay attention to your cadence. You have a, uh, uh, I had an old coach that taught me, go run a, um, go run a 10K or a 5K and look at your cadence when you, um, when you download your numbers and look at them. Oh, we got a traffic jam up ahead. And that cadence, you know, after the first mile and you get warmed up and get going, that's the cadence you should be trying to train at all the time. That's your like nice high turnover. And what's great is that has a very low, uh, it tears up. It doesn't tear up your body as much with the impact. You actually run smoother because you're going fast. Anyway. Oh yeah. We used to have this Greyhound. Oh, Roxy. I miss my Greyhound. And the faster she ran, 
uh, her body, and you can watch videos of dogs and cheetahs, uh, greyhounds and cheetahs running like this. The faster they run, their body quits bouncing up and down. A gallop has like a ba-boom, 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 and a lot of up and down. And that's a lot of shock on the body. But high speed, you'll notice that an animal running at high speed, like Usain Bolt, their body quits moving up and down, but their legs spin like crazy, but their body quits bouncing. And it's that bounce that actually injures you over time. And let's see, I had something else I was going to talk about. I rode the, uh, I've been riding the Desert Zwift package, and uh, that's been really, really cool. Um, I noticed on Treadmill TV, which is a YouTube channel, they've got, was it Singapore? Thailand. I think it was Thailand. A running area in Thailand, which was really cool. And I think that's it. I'm going to uh, get off the mic right now and get ready to... Oh, no, I do have... I remember the other thing. Uh, I was at a backpacking store, and I got some outdoor gear. And this really isn't triathlon stuff, but it is outdoor gear stuff. Uh, Columbia, the apparel company, has a, um, a brand of waterproofing stuff called OutDry. And it's very expensive, but it's incredible. It it's both amazingly breathable and and waterproof, and lightweight and also durable. So it's not going to tear up really badly. And it's spring, and uh, the stuff for the winter bad weather is actually on sale. So I got a a uh, Columbia Titanium level outer shell jacket it's like super super thin super lightweight it it folds up like tissue paper but it's super strong and um for half price so i'm super excited about that and it's gonna rain the next couple of days so i'll have that uh ready and with me and and uh depending on how it goes i may talk about it some more all right that is it we got a lot of tips this podcast so stay tuned out bang All right, we are back, leaving the pool. Actually, got a little bit of biking stuff to talk about. Let me put the Zentri Mobile Studios here in reverse. And, oh, it's about uh, intervals on Zwift and playing around with stuff uh, on the new desert expansion. Uh, you can hit that, it's a really, Gosh, it's a, like an 11 mile route or something. Maybe. No, I don't think it's quite that long. But anyway, you can hit it from two different ways. Uh, you can go from uh, the original start point in the southwest, and it's a long, gentle climb. Like, say you began like at the original start line area of, of Watopia the home base of Watopia. And then you uh, move forward and then take a left and start going to um, the desert expansion. Oh my, what was that? (laughs) And doing that, it's a uh, 1%, 2% grade most of the way. Maybe for a second it hits 3%, but I really doubt it. For quite a while. And then it flattens out and then 
keeps climbing again. Now, if you hit it from the other side, from this big sequoia tree that's under in the underwater aquarium area, that's a, a really steep climb at first, and then it stays kind of steep off and on. And it only takes like a, a few minutes, maybe. So basically the difference is a gentle climb over a medium amount of time or a hard hit climb that's steeper over a, uh, over a shorter amount of time. And what is better training for triathlon? Uh, it turns out, this is a fact, it has been studied, that longer intervals are of, of medium resistance are a lot better for endurance training. And the trick is, is you got to add some, some resistance to your normal load, your normal easy. Just add a little bit of resistance and then settle in and just don't think about it too much. So I was doing that this morning uh, in the pool, for example. I was doing five minute long intervals with, uh, with a drag chute and then... Um, did two of those and I did then I did another five minute long interval with uh, like these hand paddles but they're gloves I just found them laying around the pool so I grabbed them who knows what diseases I picked up but chlorine kills everything the uh, the thing is is you settle in and don't try too hard you've already added some resistance so let's say that you're a good cadence a good happy cadence on the bike is like 85 rpm the ideal work to improve you for endurance is like if you were like happy at, at an easy 85 is to do um, like one or two gears higher probably just one gear higher and one gear harder and at like 80 82 rpm right so just a little bit slower um, a little bit harder turnover, uh, just a little bit slower, and then settle in for the long haul for like at least five minutes, and maybe even up to uh, uh, ten minutes. But uh, a guy did a whole bunch of research on this, a big study, and found um, eight minutes was the ideal amount of time, and it just takes a while to kind of figure that out to not um, overdo it uh, because if, if you don't practice it then you blow up because you're used to going too hard and you blow up at like three minutes and uh, man if I haven't done intervals in a while I'll settle in and I'll do like one minute <laughs> and I'll blow up I'm like oh man so it takes some practice that's okay and then but the uh, the next workout two days later go back and notice that you can do it for like two three minutes not the same amount of power, but you learn how to not try so hard. Uh, so I was getting in the pool this morning and I had my drag chute with me and this guy I see at the pool all the time, uh, Rich, he said, uh, I set the drag chute on the, on the deck and uh, he said, oh man, you got that torture device. <laughs> got the torture device today. And I was like, yeah. 
and we were laughing about it. And I said, well, actually, I like it because I don't have to think. Just put it on and it just adds resistance. And then you just swim, just swim like you always swam. Um, and it adds resistance uh, without you having to think, okay, go harder. You just automatically go harder because it's because it's adding resistance. So back to Zwift, the reason that it's important to pay attention to these uh, hills and their steepness is I found that on Zwift, and out, if you're out bike riding on your own, um, you want to find hills that are longer and not too steep. And because it's got a lot of one minute hills, three minute hills and stuff that, that are super steep. And then you end up trying too hard. And so what I found is these hills that are like one or 2% grade uh, that you can settle in for a few minutes or more and apply, they automatically add some resistance, but it's not so much that you feel like you gotta try too hard. It's just a little bit of resistance. And you hit those hills, and man, if they have a coasting uh, section on the on the far side of it where you can kind of recover, that's the best. Uh, coming out of uh, out of the underwater tunnel, and then you end up kind of in that marina area, and it's flat for a little bit, and then there's a long, gentle climb, very gentle, very very long. Um, it's like one percent grade, and on occasion it's two percent grade. Uh, right, and then it climbs up, and then it finally hits an intersection and then you can take a left to the either the Italian village or a right to some kind of bridge that long ascent ascent um, where it's just throwing a mild bit of resistance at you and you just automatically try just a little bit harder is perfect because after about 10 minutes it kind of wears you out a little bit and and I don't think it takes 10 minutes to climb that one. But anyway, I wanted to just give a, uh, a shout out out there to um, how to train with longer intervals. Uh, see, if you do like real short intervals, then you become more powerful. But th that's good for um, that is not good for endurance. So like if you were to go lift weights uh, and you just want to become you ever notice like these power lifters they actually look kind of fat. A lot of time I mean they look very strong but they also don't look like super ripped or lean or anything like that they do sets of like one to three reps that's it and what that does is um, and what does that take it takes like you know 20 seconds and what that does is that builds a uh, short-term power um, but the opposite of endurance and if uh, you want to build endurance you need to do if you wanted to lean out and get strong uh, in the weight room for something uh, like an obstacle course race or something like that it takes, takes a long time you would do something that's like 20 reps 15 to 20 reps and you would kind of settle into a nice burn and that actually uh, makes you stronger over time and that's the kind of uh, the th what you need to think about when you're uh, searching for hills. So if I was to ride around here, where I'm in my town, I would look for a general incline or a, um, a headwind 
Also, we have really strong winds where I live, and I would use the headwind sections of my ride to uh, do longer intervals because it's just enough resistance to slow you down to be kind of irritating. <laughs> so you put down just a little bit more power to try to go to the speed that you're used to going. That's kind of the thing is you need something to add resistance that makes you try just a little bit harder to because you want to go the speed that you were used to going. And uh, if you overdo it with something too steep, too hard, then um, you end up, your intervals, you end up trying really hard, but then you can't sustain it for very long. And then your, your intervals end up being uh, very short and short intervals aren't good for uh, endurance training. And hey, look, there's a Volvo just like my old one. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That is so cool. <laughs> oh man, I want to go back and take a picture of it. Um, it looked like a 1983, but uh, that one was baby blue. Um, yeah, some of y'all will be, oh, I need to do like short intervals for explosive stuff. Yeah, if you're doing um, crit racing on the bike and you've got to do explosive attacks to, uh, to, um, close the gap, you know, to catch up with the gap in front of you. Like if you were doing draft legal sprint distance triathlons and maybe even up to Olympic, uh, or if you're a professional cyclist, you know, and you're doing, uh, Perry Roubaix, stuff like that. Yeah. You also need to work on your explosive, uh, or your short, I don't know about explosive, but your shorter efforts because you've got to uh, close gaps over like a minute so you can catch the draft of the pack in front of you. But in non-draft triathlon, we really don't have that. We don't have that. F efforts need to be uh, long and sustained and those uh, need to not wear you out. All right, I got to go into W to the ERK. Out, Bing. All right, we are leaving the swimatorium. <laughs> I don't know why they call it a natatorium. I guess because everybody's wearing bungee smugglers. You see the nads? Anyway, I am getting in the other Zentri Mobile Studios. Zentri Nurse's old car. She's borrowing my Xterra so that she can... You hear some sirens over there. So that she can get some mulch. Xterra has a hardened surfaces in the cargo area and in the back of the back seats which makes it great for uh it's kind of like a little miniature pickup truck it actually is a pickup truck and let's see got some uh training tips i've been experimenting lately back and forth i always do it's good for you doing really short intervals versus long intervals and man there is such a difference i've been doing short intervals on the swim lately ah there she goes and it makes you better at doing short stuff but it does not make you better at doing long stuff. They actively work against each other. It's absolutely crazy. So today I went back to swimming long and I was slower, even though I've been doing short stuff. Hard, lots of hard intervals. Well, 
this thing move up. There we go. Set for Emily's height. Seatbelt. Went back to going long. And it was uh, difficult, you know, how long you're in there for. I did an hour nonstop pacing yourself like, oh my God, I'm only 20 minutes in. <laughs> uh, but it's such good practice. So then today I experimented with... Um, if you go kind of an easy medium pace by an hour it starts getting hard you know with about 20 minutes left which is like a really great endurance interval a sweet spot interval for about 20 minutes and then the last 75 yards I found do like a hard sprint and that burns creates a lactic acid burn which really signals your muscles to be stronger next time so we'll see how that turns out next swim I've uh, picked it up a little bit. Let's see, I need to remember to make a uh, review of the new AirPods. Hopefully, I'll put that at the beginning of the show. I got the ones that have the wireless charging. And also, one of my athletes did the MS-150. So that's a bike ride. I think they have them all over. But in one of them in Texas is uh, you bike from Houston to Austin through some pretty hilly country. Uh, bass drop even have a choice if you want to do the hard or the easy round they had a tailwind I think although I checked in with her afterwards each day and she said it was really hilly and I'm really proud of how well she did and let's see I'm not in drive I'm in D3 there's drive I'm really proud of how well she did um She's naturally gifted at cycling. And the way you can tell is uh, she started off biking with her friends. No, she started off biking because her husband and her two sons were biking. And they've kind of quit. They moved on to other things. They're very active. And uh, she's still at it and loves it. And is faster than all of them now. <laughs> like a lot faster. And faster than all of her friends. And you end up with this thing, like, what do you do once you get to a point where you're better than um, your current training partners? And you can mitigate it by waiting for them, going ahead, waiting for them, riding back, catching up, riding back again. But even after a while, you got to figure out alternatives to that. And um, at some point, you've got to either train by yourself or train with faster people people, or some sort of combo of that and there's really uh, not much to do that happened to me um, I really love biking and I got into uh, and I grew up biking so I've got good um, uh, pedal technique because I did it so much as a kid you know and the uh, oh and then when I got professionally coached one year that was a big thing. And I learned how to um, train properly. Uh, then I was uh, a lot faster, significantly faster than my old training buddies when I would ride with them. And the way I got faster was I had to do the workouts my coach gave me, but I had to go off on my own to go do them because they were very specific. You know, so many minutes at this 
wattage, so many minutes at zone two, zone three, zone whatever. And and that made me um, faster, a lot faster by like a mile per hour or two. And then it got to be really frustrating. I felt like I wasn't getting in a workout when I was riding with my friends. And also I was taking it very seriously and having to stop constantly uh, for people who didn't have their act together because uh, they didn't take it as seriously, you know, or just weren't as into it. So I can change a flat and keep going or people purposefully taking rest breaks to hang out and, uh, I don't know, talk and stuff like that. And, um, unfortunately you got to pick it up and make a decision. What are you going to do? And then I, so personally I ended up riding a bunch by myself because then I could go by the heart, my heart rate. And, uh, we've got great countryside to ride, ride around, around here. And, yeah, that's about it. So we'll see what she ends up doing. She's not really in a great position to uh, ride by herself a bunch. Uh, a lot of women uh, don't want to do that, understandably so. So more in her case, she kind of needs to find faster training buddies. But that's still sketchy because uh, you can train people too fast than you and then you get worn out. Oh, life. So many uh, things to wonder about. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this show. I have uh, been very excited watching Iron Man Texas uh, live on Facebook. The only thing I didn't like was on an iDevice, like an iPad or an iPhone. I was trying to watch it on an iPad. I had to install the Facebook app. It wouldn't let me just watch it on the, um, on the internet browser which was annoying because on my computer I could watch it on an internet browser, but that thing was running Zwift, so both at the same time was killing it. <laughs> but yeah, that was a really, really cool race and it got me um, excited for maybe signing up for it next year. It looked like it wasn't uh, the absolute worst conditions. It was kind of hot, but not um, a nightmare out there. But then, of course, you're watching the pros and the pros finish earlier because they're so much faster so they don't have to deal with the heat anywhere near as bad as uh, everybody else but it looks like the weather for these things is like right on the cusp of being hot so you might get a chance that you have a cool race and then it's uh, super flat so maybe i'll start signing up for it again my uh foot is uh doing a whole lot better if i wear that boot at night every day it's just a little bit better just got to remember and I did um, three hours each day, Saturday and Sunday this week, past weekend. Today's Monday. And uh, my foot was pretty good this morning. And come to think of it, one thing that really did me in was um, I was in the process of healing. And then I went and did Ironman Canada. And Ironman Canada is really hilly. And that tore it up pretty nice. So uh, Ironman Texas is actually pretty flat. That might be a smart one to um, to target because at least I could uh, I could run a good portion of it without it hurting. And I'm beyond you know needing to finish an Ironman. I could just walk it and finish it anyway. Maybe I don't know something to think about. And I think that's it. Okay, 
let's see. You can support the show by going to zentrathlon.com. Some guys at work were blown away that I had my own website. <laughs> like, yeah, why don't you do something? Do a hobby, man. Make a website. I remember that in the 90s. That's what it was all about. And make a uh, website and do your hobby and get your word out there. And uh, it's really energizing to have um, some interests and collect what you know and then you've saved it uh, for your family and friends to check out and it's good practice to polish your own um, message to be more professional so yeah go check out zentrathlon.com and if you go to how to support the show i believe it's on the left hand side there's links to uh, paypal and you can donate uh, one time or do a recurring donation and all that goes to funding more podcasts just a blast absolutely love it okay so that's it everybody stay safe out there work the uphills cruise the downhills and keep the rubber side down out